God has been sweeter than your grandma's peach cobbler with the <laughs> scoop of vanilla ice cream on a warm day. Come on, somebody. When God gives you more joy than your team winning the Super Bowl and, and more bliss than a surprise bonus in your check, when God, in the midst of your mess, has shushed you to sleep, Better than any tropical breeze could. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. when you know that you know that you know <laughs> that he is your Lord and he is your Savior, your heart rejoices. Come on, somebody. When I think of the goodness of God and yes. what he's done for me, my soul cries hallelujah. And so uh, you can say and I can say with boldness and with certainty in any situation, I will bless the Lord at all times. Yes, mm, and yes. his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Hallelujah. I love Psalm 34 too, somebody. And I'm not big on peach cobbler, but I'm big on rice and peas. Do we have any witnesses in the house? When I think about what my God did for me on the third day of creation when he made land and vegetation and peas, somebody, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And it goes on to say, David, in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Yes, yes, magnify yes. means lift up Jesus. Don't magnify the problems, families. Don't magnify the, the issues, the bills, whatever is streaming. Magnify the Lord and let us exalt Exalt means to lift up. Exalt means to praise. Exalt means to clap. Yes. It's okay if you clap for Jesus today. Yes, yes, God. Let us exalt his name together. Yes, yes. And my favorite part, oh, tastes. Have you tasted the goodness of God this week? Oh, tastes. Has anyone tasted and anyone seen that the Lord is good? We are so excited to be here on today, and Amen. we wanted to start off first by thanking the Family Life team. You saw them up front here. We just wanted to thank them, Sister Kathy, Brother Daniel, Sister Ceres, and Brother Enos. Am I saying the name correct? All right now, for the invitation, for the planning, for accepting God's call to minister the families, not just in this building, but to Ypsilanti City itself. Uh, we want to thank the entire team for the amazing food last night. We were able to sample and taste that on the way back and it hit just right. So we are grateful that you put that together for us um, as a nice uh, a night meal. Um, and we are so grateful. We wanted to acknowledge the Ypsilanti Seventh-day Adventist Church family. Thank you so much for how you have loved on us, how you have a ministry of grace, and we have tasted um, how you have been so kind to us. You have been kinder to us than we deserve. And so we wanted to thank you over the years, how you have loved on us, you've put your arms around us, and you have adopted us. Thank you, each of you, for your prayers. Thank you for your willingness to tackle this tough subject. You know that the devil is angry, right? And that he wants to destroy your families, right? So we wanted to acknowledge the church, right? Because the church is taking a stand, right? They're drawing a line in the sand. And they're saying, we're going to talk about families. Yes. Which is what Satan doesn't want you to do. Mm -hmm. Satan knows that the blessing comes from your family to change society. And he wants everyone to stay nice and quiet about that. So we wanted to acknowledge the church for your vision, for being on your knees, and for prioritizing mm. families. Mm. Thank you for this invitation uh, to share space and time with you today uh, during this weekend and to share the word of God. There's a, there's a word from the Lord today. Is that all right? Yes, yes. Is it okay if we go right into the word this morning? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want to invite you to turn with the third scripture. I know our dear sister read that. Thank you for those two verses for us. We would also like to go to 2 Kings 18, 1 through 7. 
2 Kings 18, 1 through 7, and we can read that in your hearing. Give you just a moment. I still hear flipping. All righty, 2 Kings 18, 1 through 7. Something is happening. Something's happening in this scripture. I want, as we're reading this scripture, invite the Holy Spirit to guide you because something is happening in the family of Judah. There's baggage that's having an effect on the family of Judah. And we want to go right to the word of God. We don't want to impose ourselves on the word. We want to take out of the word Mm, the message that God wants to share for us from the word of God about a situation where family baggage had a toxic and was having a deadly effect on God's people. So this is the word of God, 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, somebody, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He even rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Let's go to the word. Let's pray this morning. Let's talk to the Lord together. Amen. Dear Lord, hide us so that you can be seen. May our words evaporate so that the word of God can be made plain and may our presence here mean absolutely nothing so that the presence of God can mean everything. Here we raise our Ebenezer. Hither by thine help we have come, O Lord. And now may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are still our strength and our redeemer. And we are praying this in the matchless name of Jesus. Let all God's people say amen Amen. and amen. Amen. We wanted to recap from last night as we're beginning this message about restoration, this teaching message about restoration. Uh, This weekend is an extension of a sermon that we started in March. And we're so glad to be back with you to continue this series on baggage. For those who are joining us online, you may not be able to see unless we do a a pan. But in front of us here, um, there are luggages and bags. We're surrounded by luggage and baggage. And we were talking a little bit about these three concepts of discover, surrender, arise that Dana and I have found in the Word of God when it comes to our baggage. We wanted to review things that we talked about when it comes to discovering our baggage briefly from last night. For those who were not able to come, just a brief recap, not too long. What were we talking about and what do we mean when we say discover? How does someone discover their baggage, which we said last night was not just emotional drama that we got from mom and dad, we said it was sin. We connected that to Galatians 5. How do we do that? Pastors, how, what are you talking about? When you're talking about discover, how can someone discover their issues? These are the six things that we said briefly. As we found that prayer was essential. Um, number two, speaking with the Christian therapist or counselor and discovering if you have cognitive distortions. We talked about adverse childhood experiences being something that can affect families and that there's resilience that's available through the Holy Ghost. We talked about genograms, which is a process that can be used 
with a Christian therapist to kind of unpack the family history and make connections with issues that they might have had and the ones that you have, and then together with someone who is anointed and called to counsel the therapist to kind of unpack what that might mean. And then finally, we talked a little bit about biblical hermeneutics or letting the Holy Spirit guide us when we study the Bible to figure out correctly and rightly dividing the word what are some of the issues that we have, right? So we wanted then to continue today by saying that God created family. Can you say amen about that? God created family and he longs for our family, for your family, to have life and have it more abundantly. In contrast, Satan wants to destroy your family by any means necessary. And in our prayers, we have dedicated this weekend experience to Jesus. We have been praying with the Family Life team for many months now. We also have received from this church an online survey, right, that where the church in this survey has shared, right, the things that, are in, that they're interested in that, that, that are having issues in their family and areas that they wanted to hear about. This message today that we have been praying about is a response to that data. So we didn't, we didn't say, what should we talk about? Let's maybe have devotional thought and say, what should we? No, 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 no. We heard from the church, the Family Life team very carefully and very efficiently gathered data from this church. We received that data. This is the response to that data, right? Um, so we've dedicated this weekend to Jesus. And in our minds, we see this weekend as a family restoration weekend. Yes, God. Yes. Whatever has been hurled by the enemy at your family, God's plan is restoration. So a preacher, how do you know know that? 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Family, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we have a unique understanding of creation science. After studying the books of Revelation and and Genesis, Dane and I believe that God's plan is to bring us back to a restored Eden. Mm. Not Eden, a restored Eden. The language, uh the new heavens and new earth language of the Revelation 21 vision is an echo of the Genesis 1 heaven and earth merism. Merism meaning in the beginning God created heaven and earth. It's not just this one thing, heaven, and then down here, the earth. It's this and this and everything in between. So when Revelation 21 is saying that there's a new heaven and new earth coming, it's saying that God is going to make everything new again. Mm, yes. So for Seventh-day Adventist Christians, so much of the emphasis of a return to Eden has focused only on a vegan diet and Sabbath keeping. Absolutely nothing wrong with either of these. However, and we often overlook that another part of creation science is family development. Mm. Because family existed in the pre-sin era in the beginning. Mm. So family and Eden should not be divisible. Our homes should be miniature Edens. This was always God's plan. Mm. This is where it begins in the beginning with God. The beginning of our day, the beginning of our conversations, the beginning of our relationships. Eden, the gift given to the human family by God. Eden, very difficult word to translate. Yes, and the original language, Eden, means pleasure. Did you know that? So God gave them the garden, gave humanity a garden of pleasure. And yet the word means so much more. It is this place, the gate where God comes to meet with people. Come on, somebody. A place where there is so much grace. There's so much truth. There's so much justice. There's so much beauty. There's so much worship that the entire world gets blessed just from the overflow of Eden. What are we saying? That our homes should be Eden. The world should still be getting blessed from Eden. In other words, from our families. So that when our families are not a reflection of Eden, anyone and everyone can tell. The world will feel it if we are not a reflection of Eden. Our churches should be miniature Edens. And from the overflow of the beauty, the grace, the truth that's happening in Eden in our churches, the communities get blessed. Mm. 
overflow of Eden living has a, a peculiar sound. Mm. The atmosphere of Eden has a peculiar look to it. Anything that is discordant, mm. anything that is disgraceful, anything that is untruthful would immediately set off the alarms at Eden. Mm. This does not belong. Immediately the inhabitants of Eden would say, this cannot stand. We cannot allow this to happen in Eden. It just doesn't belong here. Did you know that the Garden of Eden was the first sanctuary on planet Earth? Mm. Did you know that God wants our family to be a sanctuary of grace, justice, a place of safety, beauty, and truth? We are not asking God for a one and done this weekend. That's not what we came here to do. That's not what we have been fasting about. That's not what we've been praying about for Ipsy this weekend. Ipsilanti, for our families, we are praying for the beginning of a journey. God, bring us back to Eden. Yes. Restore us, God, the yes. way the original thing that you meant. God does not need a tutor. Mm. God doesn't need to be corrected. The original plan that he had for the human family is still a good plan. Restore mm. us, God. Yes. Restore us to what you originally had in mind. Bring us back to Eden. Mm. And the enemy understands and knows that God can restore our families. He believes this more than we do. Mm -hmm. So he uses the gracious gift that God has given us, choice. The only way he gets in is if we invite him in. The only way Satan can come in and gain a stronghold is if he gets a foothold and we must let him in to do this. And so he offers, tempts, bids, appeals, and suggests. Uh, he's a master of deception, chief distractor, impersonator, manipulator, and master liar. He cozies up pretending to, you know, be friends. Offers to give us what we already have, but laced with poison. And then he minimizes the horror of sin. A voice telling us really what the long game is going to look like and how that thing tastes sweet right now but will rot and devastate your life. Mm, and then once we take the lure, once we sin, he tells us it's our fault for being in sin. He blames God for your situation. He never sh shares his role in the sin. He is a cosmic bully and he has more misery planned for you, laced in lies. He'll come to you saying, You've gone too far to go back now. You know, I, I think I've just gone too far to go back now. God is too holy to accept you. Hmm, his holiness and my mess, I can't, yeah, just, it's not going to work out. You have to work this thing out on your own. Mm, you know, I'm just thinking, I should just do this. You know, I'm the only one that can get it done. I'm going to be doing this myself. No help is coming for you or for your family. Mm, you know, there's no hope in sight. This is it for my family. Just forget about it. Unfortunately, we have taken the lies of the enemy as families and embraced them as truth. But we want to tell the truth today. Is that okay? The devil is a liar. And we thought that this baggage that we surround ourselves with, right, these illustrations of baggage, but the issues that sometimes surround our families and that our families carry, that it's really no big deal, right? Rage is really not a big deal. Fear, well, it's not that big a deal. Doubt is not a big deal. Just like this baggage over here, Elder Dana. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think that's in that bag? I'll What's, check this one. What and is in you this bag right here? That one. Well, in this bag, Elder Dana, is a baseball mitt. It looks like this person here and their baggage. This is a person who likes to play games. They play games in their relationships. So they don't take anything seriously. They love playing games. That's what's in this baggage. What's in your baggage? Hmm, I, um, I think I have makeup in this bag. Yeah, let me see if I can get it open and see what we're working with. Hmm, them are some nice colors. 
This person must really want to cover up stuff. Hmm. What do you think? Hmm. Um, not probably dealing with anything in life. Just, just let's cover it up. Mm -mm. I pulled out something else from this baggage over here, Elder Dana. Uh, what do you have? A Gillette Fusion 5 pack of razor sharp razors. Come on, somebody. What a fancy. great Christmas gift this would make for somebody. It's sharp, like maybe somebody's got a sharp tongue. Hmm. And they don't like people to tell them certain things that they're going to put them in their place whenever they have to be put in their place. Oh, look mm -hmm. at that. Well, let me see what I... Oh, what else is look in at here? this now. This looks like somebody went somewhere fancy. What is that? This. I what, think this what's is in a your, robe. What's in that baggage? It's a robe. This sort of screams cozy, doesn't it? It mm -hmm. seems. Let's relax. Let's kind of hang out and put our, our feet up. Uh, this person must like to maybe lounge around. Just chill out. No need to make any decisions mm -hmm. at all. Ambivalence, maybe? Yeah, maybe ambivalence. There's something else what in else this bag. What else do you have in there? We think all of these things are okay, and really, this is what's going on. Right? All of this baggage is going to lead to what? Right, skeletons in your closet to death. And you know what? I pulled this, ske this skeleton out of the bag. You know, we talk about skeletons in the closet. Someone didn't actually put a skeleton in there, mm. right? They put a body in there, right? And that thing decomposed and eventually became a skeleton. What we're saying is if we don't deal with our baggage, mm. mm -hmm, that thing is going to rot. Other people are going to notice that something doesn't smell right, right? And eventually it's going to lead, we said last night from Galatians 5, it's going to lead to what? To death, Right? And so these hand-me-downs that we often overlook, let's lay this skeleton down right over here next to the baggage. They're killing us. <laughs> the baggage is killing us. And some of the most dangerous words that Satan utters to us about all of these things, guilt, shame, our biblical hermeneutics that are incorrect, our perfectionism, our religion without Jesus, Five words, maybe it will all go away. Mm, mm. Yeah, we don't have to address it. Maybe mm, mm. it will just go away on its own. Years ago, I was coming out of the basement. This was a long time ago. Uh, we lived in a different part of Michigan, and we um, had bought a house, and in agreement with my beloved partner, Dana, my wife, uh, we agreed that I would have a bathroom down in the basement. Come on, somebody. I had never had my own bathroom. And so we sat down at the table of compromise. I presented my PowerPoint. And uh, the three steps were why I should have a bathroom, too, because it's a house full of sisters. So I said, a brother needs his own bathroom. Yes, and yes, so after yes. some consideration, um, you know, I got the green light. So I have then a bathroom that is mine down in the basement. Not very fancy, right? But it's, but it's my bathroom. And the important thing is that it had two or three drawers where I could put my things, right? Like things like what? Well, batteries, right? <laughs> Screws, nuts, nails, right? Come on, the brothers are looking at me. Every man in here has a drawer. You know you got a drawer. Don't criticize me. Don't look at me like that. You're looking at me like I'm brand new. You know you got two drawers. I had three. So there I was coming out of the bathroom in my basement all by myself. And I'm coming out of the bathroom and we had this old-fashioned boiler. It's an older house. And I noticed, I said, as I looked over to the boiler room, hey, somebody, somebody must have left, you know, a belt over there in the, in the boiler. I'm thinking, like, who would have left a belt? And then I noticed out of the corner of my eye that the belt started moving. Mm. So my mind, right, my mind, you know, like the, my cerebellum had a conversation, right, with me. He said, listen. <laughs> Belts don't normally do that, right? Right, right. So, so I said, so what are you saying? Right? So I was like, well, that's, it's not a belt, right? right it's not a right, belt, and right. so it's, but it's moving. So it said, therefore, right, it's a snake, mm. right? Mm. Now, for the saints who know me, come on, somebody, listen. At that time, I was very afraid of snakes. I had, I had, I had, I had fear issues. I'm talking about my baggage. Come on, don't look at me like you're mad. You know you have issues, too, with some animals. All right? 
oh, I can't judge brothers on the Sabbath. So I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, okay, Lord, you know I have, I have issues with snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. Said, Why are you afraid of snakes? Well, I was three or four. We lived in Connecticut when we had emigrated from Puerto Rico and our next door neighbor in Connecticut had an anaconda, right? A beautiful, beautiful 17-footer, right? And... Um, you know, the kids would come out of the neighborhood, they would touch it and everything, and I'd be like, oh, this is great, this is wonderful. And all the kids loved it. And then one day, the brother lost the anaconda. So police, the police are going nuts, right? They're looking everywhere for the anaconda, right? So while they're looking for the anaconda, like my, my, my older sisters, like, told me, like, God bless them. They said, you know, they, you know they're telling me a story. Like, you know, I thought I heard something in your room. And I'm like what did you hear? Like, I think, like, I don't know. You, you think it could be the anaconda made it into your room? And I'm like, you really think that? <laughs> right? And so, I, like, since then, like, I've always, I don't know what it is. I've always had beef with snakes. Okay, so flashback to the basement. So now the basement, um, it just comes by me. So I freeze because I, I'm terrified of them. I, I was then. So I freeze. So now it comes by like this. just kind of comes by me, and then as it's coming by me, my body is just frozen, and I look at it, and I say, look at that. <laughs> it goes by me, and it, it goes over to a corner. It wraps itself up into a corner like this. I'm watching it. I haven't moved yet, right? Because I'm like, don't make any move. It goes over to a corner, wraps itself up, pulls its head back like this, and then its tongue does this thing where it goes, <laughs> and I said, look at that. <laughs> And so I've got a dilemma because I'm, I'm, this is my baggage. I'm afraid of snakes. So I'm like, God, what, like, God, why would you allow this thing to come into my house? And so I said, how are, we, how are you going to handle this? You, you know, it moves too fast. You've seen it move before. You can go get like a big bag or something. But what if it gets away from you? You know how fast it moves. You're afraid of it. I know what I have to do. I went and got the shovel upstairs. Went upstairs, went to the garage, got the shovel, the, uh, the ice pick shovel with the sharp flat end that you use to, to chop ice in those unforgiving Michigan Januaries, right? So I bring that, right, to spade, right? So I come back downstairs, right? And my face is, I'm, I'm sweating, I'm sweating. And so I go over, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta handle this thing. I'm afraid and I'm thinking to myself, okay, is this one of those snakes that you learned about back in Camp Wagner that's poisonous? Camp Wagner is our campgrounds for the conference. And years ago, we were in an adventurer club and took our club up to Camp Wagner. They invited a biologist with like this portable zoo and the kids loved it. He pulled out this snake and he was saying, this is not one of the ones that's poisonous. And all the kids were like, oh, and all the grown was like, oh, okay. And so, and I'm like, is this the, is the one that, they, is it dotted? He said there were two that were poisonous. I, could, I couldn't remember. So I'm like, is this thing poisonous? So there I am with this, with this, spade, and I'm like, I got I to handle this. Thing, I cannot just let it sit here. So I go to take care of business, and I freeze with the spade over the head of the snake, and I stay there for five minutes frozen in fear, pouring sweat in my mind. You know, when you're in fear, your mind starts playing tricks on you, right? Your, your mind starts playing tricks on you. I started having conversations with myself. I said, what are you going to do about this? I said, what are you going to do about this? <laughs> and I, and then, then, then my mind started telling me, well, listen, just uh, what has this snake done wrong to you? Like maybe, maybe it's an Adventist snake, right? <laughs> You're a family guy. Maybe, maybe he has family. Maybe he has like 100 children somewhere that he has to take care of. 100 children? And so my mind is going back and forth. And the one thing that made me move, Elder Dana, to take care of this snake out of fear was the thought, okay, here's what I'll do. I will let it go. Yeah, just let it go. Maybe it'll just handle itself. Maybe it'll go away. Just let it go. You don't have to tell for the first time in your life. Just don't tell Dana something. <laughs> just don't tell her, right? And I'm looking at the snake, and I'm thinking, do you think this will work? I'll let you go. You go your way. 
I'll go my way. Kesara, sara. What will be, will be, right? You will go about your life. You'll live the next two or three months happy, and I will live my life the next few years happy too. Just let it go. Leave it alone. And then my mind told me, hmm, you think that brilliant idea is going to work? Let's just say in this brilliant scheme of yours that you let this snake go. And you know that the laundry is downstairs, the washer and dryer is downstairs. Let's say that one day you let this thing go, that you don't know if it's poisonous or not. Mm -hmm. And one day Dana comes downstairs to do laundry. Mm -hmm. And there, right, and she goes to unfold the towels, and in that basket, mm -mm, mm -mm, my mind started coming back to reality. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. You can't let the snake just sit here. Or you let it go, and you know it can climb, and it gets up into the walls and gets up to the second floor, up to the nursery where baby Vicky is. And that, uh, mm -mm, that was it. That was it for that snake. I brought down that spade on its head and just severed that head. I said, chop, 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 chop. I just kept chopping. Just sweat. Maybe it'll go away. And I want to tell you something. You know, as, as I finished up with this thing out of fear, right, the mouth of that serpent, the severed head, was not going like this. Even though I had just chopped it, it was going like this. If I would have been silly enough to take my finger and put it down mm. next to the gaping mouth of that serpent, I would have gotten bit. Do you understand me? Jesus, I can't come on now. Mm. Jesus severed the head yeah. of the serpent. Preach that now, yes. Uh -huh. yes. Mm. And that's all Satan is doing right now. Mm, 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 that's what he's done when he comes after your family he's like don't you go put your hand next to that serpent okay it's over for him he got the blow that he gets Genesis 315 right the mm. blow that he got finished him off don't mess around with that serpent will it go away a snake just will not go away we cannot afford to gamble our families on a serpent just going away on its own mm. some action is needed to get rid of it and this is what King Hezekiah knew so we invite you on this journey, right, in our minds to this year, 723, to this time when Israel and Judah and off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, to this time where God's people are in trouble because they haven't been doing it right. They've been messing around with a serpent, right? They won't budge, right? They've dug into an unrepentant position. And at, the, at this point in their journey, they've split up. It's a church split. There's two different nations from the same people, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. In the majority of the homes, God has been replaced by idol worship. The families are all in to worship the idols. God, people, the people of God have embraced the heathen practices of other nations. The very nations that God commanded them not to drive them out and not affiliate themselves because they're affiliated with demons. Mm. The families are fraternizing with demons and then they wondered why things aren't going well. Mm. They even worshiped a bronze serpent. Mm. Yes, they worshiped a snake, made it into an idol. You remember the snake that came from the, the deserts story in, in Numbers. It was a temporary one-time example of Jesus who would absorb our sin and even become sin for us on the uplifted cross. It was meant only for that specific situation on their way to the promised land. However, after this event in the desert, the people took the serpent, this bronze serpent with them as baggage. They carried this snake with them across the Jordan as they entered the promised land. They carried it across the land as they conquered the Canaanites and Philistines. It was at the camp when they rescued Rahab and the victory at Jericho. I'm sure that it was stored better than your great-grandma's china, polished up better than your great-granddaddy's 1975 Ford LTD, passed down as one of Israel's prized possessions. This bronze serpent was there during the time of Ruth and Boaz. There during the time of Judges, mm, being carried around during the time of Eli and the prophet Samuel. It was embedded into their culture and part of tradition as David tended sheep when Saul was anointed as king over Israel and as David danced before God. It held a place of honor during the reign of Solomon and 12 kings of Judah that went after him. And by the time we get to 2 Kings 18, the families of Judah have been carrying this baggage for 800 years. 
and now they are worshiping it. They are burning incense to it, and it has taken the place of God. Oh, church, could it be that we are carrying some 800-year-old baggage that doesn't even belong to us? Oh, could it be that we have embraced it, sanctified it, and labeled it as truth, carrying our father's bag or our grandmother's bag and perhaps helping pack parts of that baggage into our kids' bags? Could it be this morning that we have been tricked into carrying lies that the enemy of our souls has sold us? Did you know that the devil lies? And that, yes, he even lies to the Seventh-day Adventist church? No, I've been a pastor for many years, and I've heard many saints, and in their prayers as they talk, they don't believe that they can be lied to by Satan, which mm. in itself is a lie. Satan is an equal opportunity liar. Mm. There are lies for men, there are lies for women, and he causes us to believe these lies, lies about themselves, lies about families, here are some examples. For men, I am not responsible for my actions. Jesus says, you are responsible for your actions. Women, I have to have a husband to make me happy. Mm, happiness is found not on, uh, in or out of marriage. It is found in Jesus. A lie that men believe. Entertainment can satisfy me. The only one who can satisfy us is Jesus. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not shapely enough. I'm just not enough. But Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork. Mm -hmm. Another lie. I am the master of my own destiny. I've got this. I've got this. God says, I've got you in the palm of my hand. God is just like my father. Mm, well, God is infinitely more wise and more loving than any earthly father could be. Mm -hmm. We just need uh, help to discover and uncover not only the lies, but our family baggage. About four years ago, we were in the process of looking for a house. We were gonna be buying a house. And so we're driving around looking at uh, different places and we see the sign and we see the house and I'm like this is so cute so we immediately you know are making a call to see the property right and as soon as we walk in the front door my mouth is dropping there are hardwood floors everywhere running throughout the first floor there are um, glass double doors open floor concept mm, anybody out there understand what I'm talking about marble counters that wrap around the kitchen um, as the island with beautiful um, cabinets, brand new stainless steel appliances gleaming and they're winking at me. <laughs> the family room led out to a beautiful deck and that was only the first floor. So we were completely in love and we made an offer that day. They accepted it and we scheduled a time for the house inspection. Does anyone know about house inspectors? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the job of the house inspector is to ensure that homes are up to code and safe to live, right? They are responsible for assessing and discovering any issues with the wiring, the plumbing, security system, structural components, the walls, the foundations. They are trained to recognize, you know, hidden mold, cracks in the foundation, pests, uh, termites, failing heating systems, drainage issues, and so on. They then report all these findings to you so that you then know what's going on with the home you're about to purchase. So that day finally came and, I, and we walked in and of course I had already planned in my mind what furniture was going where. I had, you know, what color scheme we was going to go with, where my office was going to be, where your office was going to be, where the grandkids were going to be hanging out with, where we were going to have Thanksgiving, who was coming over. It was set in my mind. So we walk in and the inspector is in my kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's standing there in my kitchen. You know the kitchen with the marble cabinets, the marble everything, right? Those appliances that winked at me. And there he stood in my kitchen. And then he asked me, do you want the worst news or the bad news? I was like, mm, no good news. So he starts with the ceiling in the kitchen that is sloping. It's not level. Then he moves to the roof that looks like a Chia Pet project. Then he talks about the basement that has been flooded several times in the past due to poor construction. Did I say 
poor construction, the last and the worst of all, the inspector said was, I will not ever set foot in that family room. Mm. Not even today am I going there. It was built wrong. It's a disaster waiting to happen. The floor could collapse at any time. Mm, at any time, whoever built the family room used the wrong bolts to secure the structure. And that was only the first floor. Mm, our great inspector, somebody, is amazing at looking past the surface, mm, past our manicured longs, our four-piece suits, our happy Sabbath, and mm, our loving, fashionable mm. outfits. Mm, and he points out our baggage in a loving way. Yeah. Mm, he walks with us on this journey of discovery, yes he does, and uncovers the issues that so easily beset us, but we're not aware of. And this is where, and who Hezekiah was hanging out with. Yeah, he was hanging out with the great inspector this whole time, the great I am. The word of God says in 2 Kings 18, 7, the Lord was with him mm -hmm. and went everywhere he went. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So that we know that the Lord was with Hezekiah when his older siblings had been sacrificed in the fire to the gods of Canaan by his father, King Ahaz, when he was little. And we're not sure if Hezekiah was there at that sacrifice or uh, to witness that or if he was aware at, uh, you know, of his siblings' tragic ending. But we believe that in that moment when he was young, hmm, Hezekiah discovered that baggage and decided in that moment, hmm, I'm not going to be like my dad. Mm. And as we shared last night, don't miss it. Don't miss God, the guiding and directing. All we have to do to do is ask. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me yes. and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Hallelujah, God. The rest of that story with the house, Elder Dana, if you don't mind, yeah. is that we discovered because the inspector pointed out the issues in that house that we had put a deposit on, we had prayed over and we said, this is the house. Mm. The inspector said, mm, 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 mm. we listened to what the inspector was saying. We discovered yeah. and we yeah. surrendered to God and said, God, you must have some other house for us. So we said to that buyer, we are going to withdraw our offer. We got our deposit back. And don't you know that God is amazing that we didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't know is that God had another house in mind for us. Come on, oh, somebody. Yes, 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 he yes, had yes. another house. And what we, can we just say? Can I just say? That we didn't <laughs> know that God could do that. We didn't know you could buy a house and that you could walk away with a whole bunch of money at closing. That the closing is done. All kinds of stuff is taken care of. That the price of the house would be tens of thousands of dollars less than when it was prayed for, so we didn't have to pay for all that money. God did that all by himself. Yes, yes, now, yes, if we yes. would have gotten into that house that we were sure of as a family, we said, this is the one. Mm, look, mm. At, look at where we're going to have Thanksgiving. This is where I'm going to have the nachos. I'm going to have the rice and peas over here. I'm going to have the brothers over here for family life. And the, the, what if the, we were over there having worship and the living room sinks? Mm, mercy God. Okay, that would be bad, right? What we're saying is that God will warn us sometimes. Yes, yes. We're just saying that Paul in Galatians 5 from last night didn't just call it drama from our, our ancestors. He called those things in Galatians 5 works of the flesh. It's sin. Mm. No, well, they just rage. They always talk like that. He always mm. just kind of talks sharp like that. No. Mm -mm. God is trying to save us. Yes. He's trying to restore us and bring us back to Eden. We see discovery as a key part of this story of this young adult, 25-year-old Hezekiah, discovered, I can't be like, like this. Mm. And then he surrendered. He made a choice. He followed God. What, what are you looking for? Who are you watching? It's interesting that the Word of God does not detail what Hezekiah didn't do. Are you listening? We're getting into the detail of surrender. When you mean surrender, what do you mean? The word of God does not say, and Hezekiah didn't do this. No, 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 no. It does say Hezekiah, listen to this, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It said what he did do. Mm. And watch this, just as his father David had done, immediately someone who's concrete sequential should say, well, wait a minute, wasn't, wasn't mm. Ahaz his right? father? Why does the Bible say in verse 3, 
of 2 Kings 18, why does the word say he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father David had done? Why didn't it say just as his father Ahaz had done? Hmm. Because in the eyes of the writer, they're saying, you know what? We need to give surrogacy right here, right now. Something's going on and you cannot look to Ahaz. Hmm. You need to look out to somebody else who's in your family that God anointed, look to David. What, is, what are we saying here? Something, sometimes issues are going on in our family. God can only go so far with that person, and he will lift up another person in your family, even if they're not your biological family, and say, you know what? This is why this person is here next to you. Mm. This is why the men are here next to you. Mm. This is why the brother is here next to you. This is why that sister is here next to you, so that you can see that the focus is not on not being like someone, but rather on being like someone. Mm. You see that? Don't keep looking. It's, well, no. My dad did this, and I'm not going to be like him, and my grandpa did this. I'm not going to be like this. I'm not going to be like this. I'm not going to be like this. And then guess what? Because you're looking at them, mm. Mm. by beholding, you become what? Change. There's no such thing. Next point of surrender. There's no such thing as neutral ground in spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual warfare weekend. Mm. We started mm. off that way. We could have named it spiritual warfare. We didn't do it. This baggage is spiritual warfare, mm. right, from beings that predate Adam. Okay? No such thing as neutral ground in spiritual warfare. Until we come to God's side, we are on Satan's side. Mm, How does this tie into surrender? Everyone surrenders. We're saying the way to discover and deal with our baggage is discover, surrender, arise. Mm -hmm. And we're saying everybody surrenders. If not to God, then to Satan. Even when you don't feel like you need to surrender to God, by default, if you haven't, you're still with Satan. The spiritual warfare transmission of your car, right? There's no neutral. It's just drive or reverse. It's either in God or in Satan. Mm, and this mercy. is a deception from Satan that you should wait. Yeah, okay, evangelists get up, they start preaching the word, and Satan can't hold it back. Mm. He can't. A word is too powerful. Mm. The spirit is moving. The spirit yes, is doing God, what he's yes, doing. God. Light is coming into the mind. The change is getting ready to come. And then Satan pulls out the deadly black arrow tomorrow. Okay, okay, you got to come, come, but, but come tomorrow. Mm. Wait. No, the Bible says, no, 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 no. Today's a day of salvation. And then yes. Paul actually says, no, he didn't yes. wait for the end of the day. Mm. Mm. So, yes, we can surrender. What did surrender look like? We're talking about surrender to family baggage. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Since it's spiritual warfare, we're leaning on the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit. So what did surrender look like? 2 Kings 18 steps that he did. Here's what he did. What did he do? Pastor, what are the steps for our family? The word of God is telling us that in 2 Kings 18. What was it that he did? What did Hezekiah do that led him to this business of uh, taking down this sacred cow, sacred serpent that nobody wanted to touch? Nobody wanted to touch a sacred cow. Just let's keep worshiping Nehushtan. He said no. He did what was right in the, in the eyes of the Lord. This is what Father has done. He, what, what else did he do? Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. He held fast to the Lord. He did not stop following the Lord. Mm. He kept the commandments that the Lord had given to Moses. What are we saying? In addition to this, if we follow his story, also the, the parallel story in 2 Chronicles, he did something that was fantastic for leadership, mm. that's fantastic for leaders of homes, for the brothers and sisters who are listening. This is what he did. He got on his knees and started worshiping the Lord. Are you listening? Mm. Worship. Follow the Second Chronicles 28 story. He worshiped. Then he pulls in. Listen to me now. He pulls in people who are like-minded who also want to worship. He comes into this situation. God hands him the kingdom of Judah. He looks up north to what's happening to Israel. Israel has been destroyed by Assyria. Mm. Sennacherib is on his way to Judah. Mm. Mm -hmm. He's on his way down to, to Hezekiah's kingdom. He destroyed Israel, and now he's like, look at Judah. I'm on my way. So now Hezekiah is like, no, no, no. No, it's spiritual warfare. They're coming for us. And he's, and he's serious, right? Has, uh, Sennacherib is serious. He's a type of Satan, right? And so Hezekiah does what? He surrounds himself with like-minded people who are into worship. Hmm. Not every. He doesn't call everyone. He's a, a group of people that get into worship. And out of this then nucleus of fire, of the embers of the Holy Spirit, from here... The Reformation, the Holy Spirit spreads yes. from this group of individuals that are praying and worshiping God and praising God. It spreads to such an extent they can't hold it back. We were talking about how Eden, our homes, that from the overflow of Eden, the community gets, gets blessed. Mm. From the overflow of this small group, 
where he's worshiping and praying with people, it spreads to the nation. And it isn't, it isn't long. They haven't had Passover week in years. They, they bring back the people of God and they celebrate Passover, which is a week-long celebration of what happens when you put the blood of the lamb over your house. Come on, somebody. Yes, they started yes. lifting up the name of God, remembering. Mm. Why, where have we been? Why have we not doing this thing with the blood of the lamb? And it ushers in a reformation that changes the destiny of Judah. Yes, God. That's how he dealt with that baggage. And guess what? Watch this. After that, that's when he cut down the high places. Oh, don't miss this. He didn't on his own say, we need to cut down the Husha. No, 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 no. First he gets to pray. Then a group of people come to pray. The nation come to pray. Everyone's in, everyone's in agreement. God is good. He's amazing. And then they're like, wait a minute. What have we been doing worshiping the snake? Hmm. What are we, what? There's no reason to worship the snake. And after that, it just makes sense. Just break that thing down into pieces. We don't, that, that bronze thing, in other words, Nehushtan. He got out of the way of the Holy Spirit and let the blood of the lamb do his work. Hmm. God wants you to act when it's time to act, when it's time to rise. The Holy Spirit will superintend the whole process for Hezekiah because the family, uh, the nation was in that decay. So enough was enough. And so with God's strength, with his might, he was able to get up and do the things that he needed to do. You know, God is not bland. Hmm. There's no ifs or buts about it. The snake had to go. But first, the clue is in his name, somebody. Hmm. You see, Hezekiah's name means God has strengthened. Yes, he gave him strength to do the things that he uh, needed to do. And this is how he was able to do those reforms. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so this change happened. This marvelous reform was brought about to the families of Judah. So what he does, Hezekiah then leads the nation. Yes, yes, yes. He leads the nation. He opens uh, the temple doors. He rebuilds the temples and he cleanses it. Uh, this was a massive reconstruction project. He destroyed Judah's idols. He broke Nehushtan into pieces. Hezekiah was a type of Christ because he brought his brothers together. He smashed the serpent. He destroyed the pagan temples. He reestablished worship. He reinstated the Levitical priesthood and set up contributions to the temple. And this all came about, not in his own strength, but because God strengthened him. Mm -hmm. You know, God wants to strengthen you and your family. And none of this could have happened without surrender. We're getting ready to appeal. We've been praying so much for God to help us to discover our family baggage. And even for this weekend, for miracles to happen, the things that no one wants to talk about, the sacred baggage that has been affecting us, it affects us personally, it affects our families, it affects us as a church. God wants to restore us back to Eden. Mm. There's baggage that we need to let go of, and there's new baggage that God wants to give us. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, mm. and I, Jesus said, I will give you rest. If you would, wouldn't mind uh, playing for me as we're closing, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, yes, Jesus said, for I am meek and humble in heart. What do you say to someone when you know it's the end, right? You're at a point in your life that you're not sure where, what's going to happen, but you have faith. You have faith in your Father that he will carry you through, but the weight is so great. We started out our message talking about families being in the Garden of Eden. And even the place where he wants to bring our families is back to Eden, a garden. Something happened in another garden. It was a Thursday night after Jesus had met with, had spoken with 
had poured his heart out to his disciples. They walked the path past the Kidron Valley into the Mount of Olives, and there, in the shadow of the Mount of Olives, was a garden. And there our Lord Jesus confronted the challenge of his life. Every step in his life was uphill. And there he was now at the garden. This is a tale of two gardens. The first Adam didn't do well in his, in his garden. What would the last Adam do in his garden? There Jesus is faced with the reality. The sins of everyone from Adam to the close of probation is being placed upon him. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And the sins started being placed on the sacrificial victim, an innocent victim. And there Jesus, as he always had, communed with his father and asked his father for something. Three times he asked his father. It's not that he didn't love the human race. He, Jesus loved the human race. It's just the weight of the separation. He could not have known what that was. And in his human condition, it's being laid upon him. The separation is now beginning. Because a holy God and sin cannot coexist. And so Jesus then, coming apart a little bit from this group of disciples that he had pulled with him to pray with him, asks his father, if there's another way, right? If there's another way to do this, can we do another way? Not that I don't want to go, right? I do want to go, but I don't want to be split up from you. I don't want to separate from you. Let this cup pass from me. And then he adds, not my will, but thy will be done. Each one of the Gospels records the story differently. It is Matthew, and the story that Matthew unpacks, he shares that three times he asks the same question. The Bible says that the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Who is more righteous than Jesus? And the answer comes back the same. No. There is no other cup. That's the cup. There is no plan B. You must go on to Calvary. Jesus had to go through this process. He had to discover. He discovered it the first time. He asked again. If there is a way that this cup could pass from me, there is another way, Heavenly Father. But not my will, but thy will be done. The third time, the same answer came back the same way. Jesus discovered he has to go just the way, just the conversation that they had in eternity. He has to do what the Father is saying. So he surrenders. And he says to his disciples, it's, it's too late now, they're coming, you can stand up. He realizes that the victory is in surrendering. Oh, he's going to rise up in a little bit. In a few days, he's going to rise up. But he's not going to rise up until he surrenders. It's a battle of wills. Satan is tempting him to try to find another way to save the human race and to, and to tell the universe about the love of God and to justify you and to me and to save us. But Jesus said, I'm going to lay aside my will for each of you, for me, because he loved us so much. Jesus surrendered. This day is a day of surrender. We wanted to ask you, at this time, we have prepared for you these boxes. How, Dane and I asked, how could we, how could we show the grace of God to God's people? 
God has been so good to us. Hasn't God been good to us? We had prepared for you something that we thought would show that God wants to give us something. He wants us to rise up, but first he wants us to surrender. I wanted to invite each of you, the families who are here today, there's something that's happening that I don't know of that you and the Holy Spirit know about. Something's happening in your family. Something has happened to your family. Something has happened to members of your family. And that needs to be given and surrendered to God. No. No, it won't go away on its own. The baggage, like the story of the snake that came into my basement, I had to handle that snake. No, it will not go away on its own. Someone has to handle that serpent. Aren't you glad that Jesus handled the serpent for us? We're not talking about you handling the serpent, uh, Satan. We're talking about you to surrender. Let God handle the fear. Let God handle the doubt. Let God handle the wrong hermeneutics, the shame, the guilt, the stinking thinking. Whatever else is happening in your family that needs to be surrendered, whatever it is, we're asking you, come as a representative of your, of your family. Come down here, right here. We want to ask you you to come as a family we want to pray for you and when you're here we want then to give you one of these as an illustration a picture of what God wants to give you he wants to give you eternal life he wants to give you another chance aren't you glad that God is not just a God of second chances where would we be if it was only second chances God bless you this is a weekend of surrender. No, not a one and done. We're praying, God, may this be a journey for us. Also, not one and done, meaning every day is a day of discovery, surrender, and God will lift us up. Every day is a day of discovery. As the Lord helps us to discover, may we surrender daily to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the author, the finisher of our faith. Thank you, God, for giving us the example, the master example, the best representation, the best picture of God in Jesus who surrendered. If Jesus had to surrender, what about us? Lord, help us to surrender to the things that easily beset us, to the weight that is keeping us down and bound, the, the luggage that's bulging, that's hurting us, that's causing us such dysfunction. Oh God, we pray for your help with these things. We're surrendering our right to handle it. We want you to handle it. No, we can't do it on our own. No, it won't go away on our own. We believe, Jesus, that you will do it. At this time, Lord, we pray that you will do it. By faith, we're claiming it. Lord, have your way. Not our way, not our will, but your will be done dedicate at this time all of the families of the church, all of the families who are watching online, whoever may come on later to see this message, bless them, Lord, as only you can. And we believe, Lord, that you can do all things, that nothing is impossible for you. We believe also that the way you answer prayer, that you answer them exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Oh, Lord, answer that for each family and deal with each family the way that you love to do with grace and with mercy. Oh Lord, thank you. We want to thank you for hearing this prayer ahead of time. We want to thank you, Lord, for blessing. We want to thank you, God, for breaking chains. We want to thank you, God, for lifting up baggage, baggage that maybe we didn't even know was there, baggage that's holding us down, baggage of unforgiveness, baggage of, of, of failure to do things in our family that we're supposed to do. Oh Lord, receive it and we receive from you your grace. Thank you, God, for hearing this prayer. And we bless your name. We give it all to you. We surrender it all to you right now. In Jesus' matchless name, let all God's people say amen. Let all God's people say hallelujah. Let all God's people say glory to God. If you are interested, we have for you, for each person who's here, we have for you. Come on by and get, if you would like to, it's an invitation. We have these favors. 
and it says on it, it says arise on it. So if you wanted to come by at this time, it's here for you. Come on by. If you'd like to, take one or two for your family. God bless you. God loves you. Take this new baggage with you as a picture of what God wants to give you.